0: Hi and welcome to this special episode of Out of the Cave. Um, This is an interview taken from my other channel, The Pete George Experience, uh, where I had a chat with a great friend of mine, Don LaChance, and he's a grief and loss specialist. Uh, We talk for quite a bit. We we talk for over an hour about grief, loss and our experiences and... um, I hope that you take something from it, uh, learn something, um, or maybe gain a little bit more knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview. Or you can just go to petergeorge.com.au and um, the show will be there. It's called Sometimes You Have to Hit Rock Bottom. And I feel that's just true, you know, like there, there is a point if... Um, you can't see it, that you as an individual um, sometimes might have to hit rock bottom and, and that's when uh, you realise that you do need help and I think that's the hardest thing for someone with mental health is to actually physically work out your need to get help.
1: Yeah, even in, even in the sentence structuring that you use, we always want to go and refer to mental health when really we should be talking about mental illness. Mental health is the destination that's comfortable to talk about. It's the place we find ourselves after we've hit rock bottom and we've reached out for help. The unfortunate part about that is so many people don't ever ask for help. They can't break through this stigma
0: yeah and that's the that that's a, a a real good point you know it is an illness and the hard thing is i think for a lot of people that uh have that illness is that we we get shy on the fact that it's um a not seen illness it's not a broken arm it's not a a cut on the face or anything like that and it has so many facets to it that um as a sufferer you, you sort of don't understand yourself, and sometimes it takes someone to, to point that out, and that's the hard part for other people to understand and learn how to, to point that out to someone in a, in a tactile way that's not going to push them away.
1: Yeah, I, I think often the secret to that, um, Pete, is for us to have the courage to go first, for us to stand up and talk about that discomfort because that's that's the secret to creating the space for those who suffer uh, to, to take their masks off and and in some instances people will be connecting on a real level for the first time
0: yeah and it was quite um funny when we we had a chat a couple of weeks ago and it sort of dawned on me when i said you know it was it was all of a sudden it was bang, I had the incident on Boxing Day. And then it was probably two days later I felt like a new person. And you said, well, you've cleared everything out of your system. It's sort of like hitting a, a reset button on a computer or, you know, it was just this emotional draw away of everything. And I felt like, not straight away, but I, I felt like the old Pete once again. and, and That's, this is going to sound strange, but that was the fun part about the journey.
1: Yeah, well, it's the fun part because it's the introduction of hope.
0: Yeah, very true. You know, and the other things that I've learned through it is that as when we're born, um, we're a blank slate and we get taught everything and, and not everything that we get taught helps everyone cope or have a coping mechanism that is free and open.
1: What a great place for us to really start this conversation. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because <clears throat> it, it's one of the biggest challenges we face as human beings. Uh, you know, that conditioning that we get subjected to because when you begin to understand that we take in our belief systems from the people we loved and trusted most. And in most instances, that was mom and dad. And yeah. as as we move through life, we begin to realize, were they really equipped with any form of truth to be handing off to us? They were dealing with all of their own stuff and had been conditioned the exact same way by their parents.
0: Yeah, and it, it comes back to... Um the the notion that as parents it's a it's a learning curve you know there's no there's no tafe course for being a parent or a college degree for being a parent you just do it as as best fit you can and that's where we learn from you know we do we don't as a as a child we don't know yet the difference between right and wrong information. It's only when we become adult, but that's all ingrained in us at, at that point when we are an adult and we have our own belief system, as you said, that was brought onto us by our parents.
1: Absolutely, and uh, here's, here's a real challenge for us as, as parents. We, we end up parenting to extreme pendulum swings, Based on all of the things and the ways we were parented that we didn't like. Or all of the things that we believe we didn't get. And we go to extremes on those fronts because there's no balance in our lives, right? We've been conditioned. We've been taught by our parents. And there are some things that we really hated. You know, have you ever had anybody say, oh, you're just like your dad?
0: Many, many and, and how
1: uncomfortable that was because Man. we look at we're, we're not looking at the good stuff we're looking at wow i i don't ever want to hear that again if you really want to piss me off uh <laughs> you know r- remind yeah. me of things like that
0: yeah and i and, and 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 to be honest now i shudder when someone says to me you're just like your dad because to me now when on the journey I've been on my dad wasn't a brilliant individual he was he was one thing at the home and another thing out in the open and and um I had a talk with a a former work colleague of dad not long ago and he he did not want to hear um the bad about dad yeah but isn't
1: that the case for all of us you know seriously I think and, and, and again, you know, we, we'll talk about the conditioning. We can get into that a little more. Yep. But I, I think we show up more authentically in our homes because we, we truly believe we're surrounded by people who love us and we can be that gritty, uh, non-caring, self-centered person in the home because we're, we're surrounded by people that we believe love us enough for us to show up that way and still be accepted. Whereas in, in outside, like we're on our best behavior all the time. We want the world to see us one way. And so we act that way.
0: And that's the, the scary thing. And it, it took um, took me a long time to understand that with, with dad. And um, and then, you know, like you, you were saying that um, you're like your dad. And when when it all washed out, I wanted to be more like Mum. And that was the the beauty of it, you know. Like we can never take away from a mother the 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 caring and nurturing type, with the overriding power of someone that is aggressive in the in the house. So yeah, it was a little bit fun, but
1: yeah, you know. Is. And 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 again, it's the balance on both fronts, right? Because You know, in in the process that we teach when uh, we walk people through um, like a a relationship graph, um, you know, there are are terms in there uh, that we refer to as bedevilment and enshrinement. And we need to be mindful of that because if we've grown up in really unbalanced uh, homes where a father was abusive and aggressive and the mom was nurturing and caring, and that's where we ran to for safety... You know, when when we take a step back and we look at it, at the actual relationship, um, we need to be mindful that we don't lose sight of the fact that we're all humans. And and this is going back to your original comment about us being clean slates and the conditioning that we're subjected to by our parents and and the things that happen on the emotional front to us that we're completely unprepared for.
0: Yeah, because a lot of people don't, May not know and it's all in the it'll all be in the show notes and um on the web page about don and don's journey's been not an easy one through life and um yeah it's it's great that he's now in the position where he is helping others and and you know opening up he you can open me up like a, a can of worms. Like can, so.
1: <laughs> but it's your willingness, Pete. Like, and that's the beautiful thing, right? Because <clears throat> it isn't until it, it, it isn't until we develop the courage to talk about the ugly things, the things we believe are ugly, and and the hard part. Let's go back to the clean slate thing as us growing up as kids and um, how we're conditioned to not ever deal with emotional angst with any emotional pain and and I believe truly that that plays such a significant role in our mental health elements uh, but it's completely overlooked because, uh, you know, I, I keep the six myths that we're conditioned by up by my doorway and, 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 and I point to them often <laughs> while I'm on Zooms like this.
0: Yeah, I've got them, I've got them in front of me on, on the second screen.
1: Uh, well, do me a favor and read them out.
0: Okay, the six myths. Are, number one is don't feel bad. Number two is replace the loss. Number three is grieve alone. Number four is just give it time. Number five is be strong for others. And number six is keep busy.
1: Now let's 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 look at those. If we look at don't feel bad, how often that happens, and I can give you some examples. <clears throat> we come home from school and mom and dad tell us we're moving. Yeah. What kind of dilemma is that for us as children? And, you know, this is this, this is something that really freaks a lot of people out when they begin to understand that what they're experiencing in that moment is loss, a very definite loss. Because as a child, all of a sudden, you're told that you're moving. You start thinking about the, the, the neighborhood you live in, all of your friends, the school you go to, and you tell mom or you try and tell dad, well, no, I, I don't want to move. I want to <laughs> stay here. Like I, I'm, I'm oh, with my friends. And eh? what do they say to us? Well, dad's got a better job. We're moving into a nicer house. They don't acknowledge anything that we're feeling, anything that we're saying. And uh-huh. silently they're telling us, well, don't feel bad. It's, D- um... Don't feel bad. We're moving into a nicer house. So here they are already Myth one, don't feel bad. Two, we're moving into a nicer house. They're replacing the loss of the house that you're leaving, yep. you're moving
0: away from. Yep. It's um, quite funny, hang on, my chair's got a gas problem. <laughs> Not me. The hamstrings are fine. Um, it's quite funny when you talk about that because I was 15 going on 16 and I grew up in a small town in Victoria. And um, that's what basically happened, you know. And, and since, since that day of moving, I've never really had a true friend other than you.
1: Wow, that's a statement and a half, Pete, when you think yeah. about that. And, and look, yeah. at, look at the miles, the kilometers that separate us. Yep. Yet our hearts are knit so tightly together because of the relationship, because you've been transparent with me, because I've been transparent with you. Yep. There, there are no secrets. Like we've had some heavy-duty conversations.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and-
1: we've talked about some difficult, difficult
0: things. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's just one of those great things. And yeah, it's you know, and then we said, you know, like replace the loss. That that was verbatim what my parents told me at fifteen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and think about this. Here's another perfect example for people who haven't moved. If they were in love with their childhood sweetheart and they show up at school or they show up like in high school, they, they show up and they're, they're obviously sad. They're crying. They can't hold their, their emotions in and their friends all gather around. What's wrong? What's wrong? Oh, Betty broke up with me or Mark broke up with me. Oh, don't worry. There's plenty of fish in the sea. You'll find another girlfriend. You'll find another yep. boyfriend. Right away, they're telling us, don't feel bad. Yep. We're going to replace M- Mike with uh, w- with Bob. Yeah. Right away, That's... they go to it. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. And then we get to the, the third one, which is grieve Lane, you know, like. You know, it goes from the go into the home and saying, "Oh well, you'll get over it," you know, and that's and you go and sit yourself in the room because you just feel at an absolute loss because you lost all your mates.
1: Absolutely, here's another all. here's another killer. Yeah. Once they've told you, "Look, we're you know, Dad's got a better job. We're moving into a nicer home. You'll make new friends." That's the one. They're not addressing any of the angst. But here's where it gets even layers deeper. Here's a cookie, go watch TV. So we take the cookie, we go watch TV. We feel differently. Subconsciously, there's something going on here. I had the cookie. I'm not feeling the same angst, like it's there. I'm not better, but I feel different because I'm having this cookie and I'm distracted now by television. So we begin to learn to apply short-term energy-relieving behaviors, what we yeah. refer to as stirbs. Yeah. And that develops into eating disorders. That develops into escapism, into fantasy worlds. We go to our games. We go to our television. The instant we begin to feel any kind of emotional angst, we've been conditioned to not feel bad,
0: to grieve alone. Bad. And like if we step it up and we have a look at today's world and you, I don't know if you follow Simon Sinek who...
1: I love Simon Sinek.
0: And I listened today to his um, presentation he did to Corporate World about millennials and how, how millennials are today is not their fault. They are not to blame for where they are and how they behave and what they think today because that's how they were conditioned. And it was the phone or the iPad or whatever and that's the dopamine for them. Mm -hmm. That ring, that ding, that acceptance by a friend or texting out to a group of friends and saying hi and waiting for that intense... The acknowledgement. ..and the acknowledgement and... You know, back, you're, you're a little bit younger than I am. So, you know, it was in front of the telly or it was, you know, go and play in the backyard. There was always something there to replace and distract. Well, let,
1: let let's talk about some of the things that get cloaked, you know, because we escape in different ways, you know. Mine was through sex, mine was through uh, pornography, mine was through fantasy worlds, mine was through a lot of that stuff, right? And we don't associate that to uh, the emotional angst we're feeling. The instant we begin to feel any of that, we turn to the things that distract us, Yeah right away we want to turn to the things that distract us but those aren't comfortable things to talk about we can't say to anybody you know uh we can but we certainly don't feel like we can because we're going to be judged and shame is a powerful thing and 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 i think more often than not we want to refer to things that we're fearful of um you know, and, 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 and we often dress shame-based emotions up as fear uh, because fear is publicly accepted. If, if I'm talking to you about something I'm fearful of, I've lost you in the conversation, seriously, yeah. because yeah. you don't care what I'm fearful of. You, you've gone off and now you're conjuring up all the imagery and all the things that you're fearful of and yeah. we're no longer in conversation. You're off doing your thing. I'm, I'm talking about my thing. But we're—I'm—I'm I'm not really talking about the issue. Yeah. If I peel a layer back, it's shame-based. But we're so conditioned not to talk about shameful things. Yeah. That we and dress it up as fear.
0: Yeah, and that's—you um, know—the the more you—you, you, the more you hang around the positive people, like the Simon Cynics, and even. Um, I know he swears a lot, but his message is very positive, and that's Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. They drive positiveness to a new level, and understand how to get there a lot better. And and basically, when you listen to all they say, it's just as you said, breaking back the the layers. You know, we're we're onions if you if you want to put it that way, and you've got to get to that centre bit. Yeah, and the center bit is the root, and that's a lot of that is the the cause when you get to that, that part of the onion.
1: Well, I, I, as a grief and loss specialist, one of the in, incredible things that occurs, and and it occurs pretty much pretty much a hundred percent of the time, when somebody reaches out to us for help, it's because of an incident that's occurred, and we refer to it as like the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And we begin to educate the people who turn to us that, you know, let let me take a step back. We're grief and loss specialists. The majority of people will uh, associate emotional discomfort they describe as grief when they lose somebody that they care about deeply. When we lose a loved one. And, and that's an impactful event that happens. Somebody dies and we grieve. But the same emotional turmoil shows up for all of the intangible loss. So when your parents decided to move and they didn't acknowledge anything, you were, you were experiencing all of this, this, this form of loss that was taking place. And, and, and it shows up this way. We refer to, to them as intangible losses and they show up as all of a sudden loss of safety. So you're moving to a new area. You, you, you don't know it. You don't feel safe in it. But you can't express that because you don't know that's what you're experience. You've been conditioned sure. since birth to not feel bad, to grieve alone. To yeah. replace the loss, to keep busy. The yeah. killer for me is to be strong for other people. How many times have you heard that? Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And
0: it's and I think it's um more prevalent today. Like some of the statistics that we see around um suicide here in Australia, it's phenomenal. You know, like a large majority of suicides here are men in their thirty like thirty five to forty five mm-hmm. age bracket where there is a lot of change and upheaval in their, their lives. And they, they just get told, oh, well, you're a bloke. You can handle it. You can do this. You can do that. And you can, you know, be strong for your wife or suck it up. Or, and that and that just gets to them and they get beyond the point.
1: Oh, yeah. Like yeah. When, when you think about that, <clears throat> the intangible loss element there, here are some examples of intangible loss, loss of trust, loss of safety. Loss of self-worth, loss of dignity, loss of innocence. So people who've been abused, that yeah. loss of innocence, the, the, you know, there, there's the intangible loss of, of trust, of safety, of, of, of dignity. Yeah. And, you know, the, we begin to experience that at deep, deep levels, but we can't talk about it. We don't know how. And there are a few people to sit and hold safe space and gophers talk about <laughs> their discomfort. That really clears the way for me to take my mask off and connect and say, wow, you know what? Me too.
0: Yeah, do you think a lot of that? Um, like when I, went, or when I was in the mental health unit at the hospital and the occupational therapist came in, and she took away the pain because I got obsessed with the pain that I was going through with all the elements that I had. And once I realised again there was a lot to Peter George that had a lot of worse, then I knew what direction I wanted to go in again. And that came to a, a lot of freedom again and, and made me want to contact the people and, you know, Um, that I hadn't contacted in a long time, and you were one of those. Um,
1: Thank you, Pete.
0: And I just felt that the space was right to get back to who I am, what I believe in, and deep down you just want to help others.
1: You see, and in there, in there, what was that ray of hope? When when you began to realise that you were more than the pain that you'd been living with because we 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 become consumed with it right it's heavy it's dark and it drags us down into that place and because of all of this ugly conditioning you know what's what's the knee-jerk reaction i run into you on the street haven't seen you in a while hey pete how you doing yes what am i going to get in the way of a response
0: well, depends what day you got me on, but it can it can be a array of things. From I'm fine. Okay, know, I'm stop
1: right there. That's the exact word I was looking for, and I want the audience to know that there's no setup here. Yeah. When Pete told me if I asked, "Hey, Pete, how you doing?", I'll get nine times out of ten you're going to get, "Oh, I'm fine." And fine for us is an acronym: feelings inside not expressed. Yeah. So, so uh, when I ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? And they say, oh, I'm fine. Okay, let's deconstruct that a little bit. I'm going to ask you again, and I want an honest answer from you now. How are you? Right. That's uncomfortable for most people. Yeah. Right? Because now they're connected to some of the things where, I'm, well, I'm not really fine.
0: Yeah.
1: But they don't know how to talk about it because it's uncomfortable.
0: And, it, 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 you know, it's one of the things that we aren't taught, really. We're not taught to communicate in an open and honest fashion.
1: Not only are we not taught to communicate in an open, honest fashion, we're conditioned to run in the other direction by these <laughs> myths. Yeah. From
0: birth. Yeah. And that's it, you know, like... <laughs> the, the circ- when you break it down and you you start to realize that what it's all about like if you take um I, I don't want to go down this path but if you take things like the news politics everyday life it's just a conditioning for their next step that's how i see it now whereas before i was consumed with politics and everything like that they can they it's just like mum and dad but in a different environment where you know go down this path with us and we'll look after you now going back to simon cynic and with and it was quite funny i had jane watch um simon cynic the golden circle because it's quite good for for salespeople to watch and He's talking about Martin Luther King and how he got two hundred and fifty thousand people without t v or without advertising or anything that we have today and he got the it wasn't because I have a plan, it was because I believe mm-hmm. and if you listen to politicians today, it is I have a plan, and they wonder why people won't follow and i and that's another thing that sort of sparks me off that hey these people. Like Simon and and others, and Jordan Peterson's another one. Know how to steer away from that, but as we've been taught from birth, we get steered down the channel of do as I say, not as I do. Basically, that's how I see it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's interesting, right? Because <clears throat> with the introduction of social media. um the algorithms rule, you know, and, and you talk about the millennials who are waiting for that ding, who are waiting, you know, the dopamine rush, the acceptance, yep. like uh, I matter, you know, because of the connectivity on that front. And um, the division that we're experiencing in the world right now has never been as pronounced and never been as, as obvious uh, to me. And I, I really believe it's because of the way the algorithms are set up. And, uh, you know, um, w- way back I was studying Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And there's a quote yep. in that book that changed the course of my life. And here's the quote. We find what we look for.
0: And that, that's very true.
1: Yeah. And, and, and here, you know, so I, I, I don't want a platform Uh, you know, anything in regards to COVID we've, the world globally, we've all suffered from that. And uh, we've been forced into two camps. Uh, You're either uh, in, in favor of the vaccination or you're not. And, and it, and it let's just look at it at that base value. Right. And so the side of the coin that doesn't believe in Vaxes are out looking for all the reasons why uh, they should really believe that. And so the algorithms, what do they do? Oh, well, Don's looking for this. So I'm going to reinforce that. And they start introducing other people into your feed that have the same beliefs. And what happens to you? Oh, geez. Like I must be on the right path because, Oh, look at this person, they've been introduced and they think the same way I do And <laughs> that's good. And, the flip side of the coin is doing the exact same thing. So your your beliefs are being reinforced by an algorithm that isn't concerned about educating you, but more about really feeding you some of the things that you're looking for. And when we take a step back and we look at what's unfolded in the world, that's where the division comes in. Yeah. And, it, and it's undeniable and it's ugly.
0: And it is, you know, like, um, Dane and I speak quite a bit about a few things and when the vaccines come out, we just said, you know, in my case, like I've got respiratory problems, I've got everything like that and I said, okay, well, I've got to minimise the risk. I'll go and talk to the doctor and see what they say. And that that's when I started to see the nastiness of social media with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know... I think we've lost the, the desire to get an informed decision based on our own findings.
1: Well, well again, you know, and, and, and I, I don't want to get off topic. I don't want to glorify <laughs> the algorithms and social media because, you know, the whole purpose of this topic is for us to talk about mental health. And um, more importantly, the stigma that surrounds mental illness that keeps us from talking about those things uh, that will lead us uh, on the journey to mental health. You know, it was just it's just a perfect example of of uh, how we feed ourselves uh, the information and how we're being fed the information. So let's look at what happens Cerebrally, when we go out and we're reinforcing our belief systems, our minds and our egos are are here. Yet all of this discomfort and turmoil in our spirits, in our emotional self, are not being answered. And it's being amplified. And we no longer know who to trust. And you see, so there's the intangible loss of trust that comes into play, safety that comes into play. And, and we begin to spiral downhill. And because we've been so conditioned to grieve alone, we don't believe that we can talk to anybody about this because no one's going to understand. You know, My history with wanting to talk about things that are uncomfortable uh, get bleeded out instantly. You know, yeah. Oh, don't feel bad. Oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Oh, just give it time. You'll be fine. Yeah. And, and it goes on. Be strong for your family. Yep. That, like, how cruel can you be to somebody who's suffering emotional pain to tell them to be strong? Don't feel what you're feeling. Be strong.
0: Yeah. And it, it's um, a statistic that shocked me, absolutely shocked me, when I was doing a bit of research on the last, I think it was the last show or the show before. Um in 2020 so in the height of covid there was 99 suicides of kids between the age of five and 17. how can young kids that get to that point it just blew me away i couldn't couldn't comprehend because i know like i've been to that end just about ...like I was close. But for a five-year-old to know those steps... ...to get there, it just I just thought to myself, God, where, where have we as a society gone wrong? And that, that's been the biggest wake-up for me with... ...you know, like you were saying about social media and that. But, it, you know, at a five-year-old it's not social media, I don't think. I think it's the media. The TV, when you're getting bombarded with the same thing day in, day out, day in, day out, and these poor, you know, little tykes that don't know life, and they've been conditioned like we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. and then they hear about suicide, and then, because that gets mentioned, and mental health, and everything like that, it just sort of shocked me that these guys can get to that point.
1: Uh, you know, it it it's um, <clears throat> this despair is an ugly thing, and the, the more of us uh, who stand up and talk about the discomfort that surrounds uh, these topics, the freer people will become, uh, because. <clears throat> You know, I, I, I can't speak to a five-year-old committing suicide, like completing suicide. Like, I, I, I just can't. There's no place in me um, to even understand that. Yeah. You know, how, 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 does, how does a five-year-old get to that place? Yet, I know 50-year-olds who've never really left the five-year-old mentality yeah. because they're trapped, right? They've been conditioned all their lives and Lots. they just... we're, we're trapped as people, but, but here's the good news. There are ways through that there, you know, there are more and more things surfacing and the more people stand up, the more people begin to talk about uh, the discomfort, the more people begin to uh, get involved um, and, and, and realize that when they speak about this, they actually start to find freedom as opposed to deeper despair And I think
0: that's the, the, the word, I think it's freedom.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, you know, um, because we we begin to drop like the shackles come off. Yeah. Conditioning is an ugly, ugly thing. And, and, you know, we want to figure everything out and the real resistance is 13 inches lower. Um, and that's the journey (laughs) from here to our hearts right yeah 13 inches in the average human body but a journey that most men and women will never take because it's daunting it's in and and it's uncomfortable yeah
0: and one of the um the aspects and and with growing up and and conditioning like I, i play darts you know i play play darts but one of the fears for me and for a lot of people is, is, is scoring darts and this is going to be a simple sort of like explanation. The fear that a lot of people have is being embarrassed about making a mistake and, you know, getting corrected. My fear of scoring darts is that um, every time the report card that came home <laughs> from school... I was belted by my father for for being bad at maths, and it was anxiety at, at, at its peak. But now I could go up there and score. It, it, as you said, the shackles have come away. On of shame, yeah.
1: Because when you think about that realistically, you know, we 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 don't want to talk about it. We want to we want to just hang the discomfort on our dads violent behavior. Yep. Yet really, if you begin to peel back layers, what little Pete George was experiencing was loss of self-worth.
0: Yep.
1: I'm not worthy, but we don't want to look at that. We want to look at dad's anger. We want to look at dad's just abusive nature.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and, and we don't want to talk about, how it really made us feel, again, the ugly conditioning.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the the thing. When you sent that through to me and I just looked at it and I've gone, yep, 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 yep. And just I'll run through it again because I want people to understand this because people out there are just going to go, yes. Don't feel bad. Replace the loss, grieve alone, just give it time, be strong for others and keep busy. Now, if you're Don and my age, Don's a little bit younger than me, as I keep on saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's his hair that does it for him. And if you haven't got to 30, I'll put that down. If you haven't got to the age of 30 and not been thrown all of those lines, I'll go he.
1: Well, you know, you, you, you could you could just advance that age. And if, if you haven't heard all of that by the age of, and let's and just make this uh, easy for people, by the age of 15. Yeah. Because yeah. think about this. We've been conditioned with these things since birth, Peter.
0: It's very true. You know, like, it, you know, you, you lose a race. What's the reaction? you know like one of the things that uh, when i started popping the pills and and jane was angry with me because of what happened during the day but there was no hug from her there was no you'll be right she just sat there and it was when i realized that i made the mistake that we we got going but you know, I always remember we we talked afterwards and she said, I said, you'd never help me down the stairs. She says, I'm never going to. If you were going to hospital, you were going down the stairs on your own. You had to do it yourself. And I think that's why she's such a special part to me. You know, like that she she's a very open person herself, but then again she's also very withdrawn at the same time. And, yeah, she's...
1: Well, here's one thing I can guarantee, Jane has been conditioned the same way you and I have. Yeah. This this is global. This this isn't something that just happens in your household and mine. This this is global.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it comes down to everything, you know, like over the last few years I found out that my great-great-grandmother is Aboriginal. Brilliant. Now, we're not born racists. We're not born bigots. We're not born drug addicts. We're not born alcoholics. It's taught somewhere along the line. And and one of the, the, the big ones that get, and it's I don't know if it's the same over in Canada, but here... Um, there's areas in Australia where you can go to in each state, and we call it the social security pocket, where oh, yeah. they've lived on welfare all their lives, and the system's been taught from mother to daughter to son. You know, it's this whole cyclical
1: <laughs> thing. That's a global thing. Yeah. Wherever social programs are available.
0: Yeah, where they they're taught, they're conditioned. In, in what to do and how to get about it, you know. And the same with these, these things and the same with life, you know. The, you get, you know, you have a look at sports people and I, I spoke about this a while ago to a friend and, you know, like there's the number one draft pick no matter what sport, there's always this number one player. It's not him that picks to be number one, it's the club. that's The worst club picks the best player and then if, if he doesn't turn out as the media wants him to be he's belittled and then ends up with a mental illness to the point where you know, they're suicidal and in America especially in NFL and, and baseball there's a lot of suicides because of that pressure.
1: I, I, I'm in a place where <clears throat> I believe that the world suffers from mental illness. Seriously, we just don't talk about it. We Very just don't true. talk about
0: it. No, and, and the hard thing that, I don't know if you've got the same going on over there, but they just think, politicians think they can just throw money at it.
1: Well, again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, take the title away from the politician and it's so-and-so who's grown up in a dysfunctional environment, who's looking (laughs) to make better and uh, has suffered the same way. You see, when we begin to peel the layers and we begin to peel the agendas away and we get down to the person involved, it begins to change the dynamics of the playing field. Yeah. You know, true. we, we want people who step up to want to make a change. We want to hold them accountable for all the things that they're looking to change. Yep. And, uh, you know, we put so much weight, so much emotional weight on other people. Uh, and, and, and it's typically a reflection of where, we are emotionally and incapable of solving because we've been conditioned to be strong, to stay busy.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a challenge in itself. So if we look at what we've spoken about and put it into context, how, what would be the first step that you would say to someone to start, we'll call it the six layers of the onion from here on, the the six steps. How to start pulling back and looking at different, like life in a different light, that it's okay to feel down, but you've got to be able to tell people that you're down without the fear of repercussion. I suppose that's...
1: Well, you you have to be willing, and and that journey's different for everybody, right? And, and I, I, I talked about it fleetingly um, earlier on when somebody comes to us as the result of an event that occurs and we start peeling back layers for them and educate them that, no, you're not here seeking help because of the one incident, because your mom died or your dad died or your wife left you. We want to tie in the education that begins to introduce intangible loss because the same emotional turmoil surfaces with intangible loss. So let's look at things in the process that we walk people through Peter. Yep. We begin to plug them in to their life and we want them to graph out their loss history because we understand, see, loss is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative. Yep. So we take people back to dawn of conscious memory. And we have them <clears throat> just begin to graph out the loss events of their lives. And in my case, like I go back to dawn of conscious memory, multiple moves, so all of the, the emotional discomfort that surrounds those, even as a, a young, young child. But my, my first memory is me being tethered to a tree on King Edward where we <laughs> live, right? It was a normal thing for parents to do.
0: Yeah.
1: And the reason I remember being tethered to that tree was because my dog was chained to the, the, the porch and his leash was too short for him to get to me. And my tether was too short for me to get to the <laughs> get to dog. <laughs> and so there was this frustration there. Yeah. You know, it, do you think I realized as, as that child tethered to the tree trying to get to my dog that I was experiencing loss of freedom, loss of worth, loss of safety, yeah. loss of uh, trust? Yeah. How could my mom have done that to me? Cognitively, yeah. like I'm, I'm just not there. I'm not doing it. But on an emotional plane, it's what I was experiencing. <laughs> experiencing yeah. And then as you move through, like, you know, and, and and I hope you put a link to my bio in here so the audience can go in and have a look at it. At the age Certainly of seven, I tried to kill my dad. Yeah. Like, that's, that's an ugly story to tell. But it's an <laughs> honest one and part of my life. When he disarmed me and threw me into a corner... Every ounce of worth that could have lived in in a little seven-year-old body seeped from me, Mm -hmm. and I've been chasing self-worth my entire life. And not from a healthy perspective, Pete, because I I didn't know how to do that. I I seek self-worth by helping other people to a fault where I deplete self completely because... Why? You replace that loss. Replace that loss with someone else feeling good. And yep. we we need to learn to self-care. And when we begin to really address some of the, the actual emotion and the feelings that we experience, that's when we begin to uh, e- experience self-worth. And that's where we begin to experience uh, healthy behaviors and setting boundaries and anything else falls short of that. And when we do things to experience self-worth by helping somebody else, there's a degree of that. But when that's where you find all of your goodness. So I I, I don't want to go down a rabbit trail here, but I want to tie that back into the loss history graph at the age of seven, trying to kill my dad, all loss of self-worth. That's an intangible loss. That's not visible. Nobody sees that. But it's something I experienced. And then as a result of that, moving in with my grandparents, uh, when they picked us up at the flat and drove us away, my grandfather drove us away. I was sitting in the seat with my brother on one side, my sister on the other, looking back at the open door of the flat we lived in. And that was the last time I was ever to live with my parents. Yeah. So... My, my loss of safety right there. And, mm-hmm. and so you see, my graph isn't just all about death and losing people. no, it's about all of the emotional angst I experienced in the way of intangible loss. Mm-hmm. So when you begin educating people on that front and they look at, the, they look at their lives based on loss, it's sobering. But here's the good news. The whole first part of our process is exploratory, and we do that, and that's yeah. uncomfortable for so many people. People,
0: yeah, yeah, and that's um, that's the hard part. You know, like going, being where I've been, that was feeling comfortable to be uncomfortable. Yeah,
1: I. I that's a great way of saying it. A yeah. great way of saying it.
0: Yeah, and I <clears throat> and. That's when you know, like I, I still know I've got a long way way to go, but the journey's not scary anymore.
1: Well, we take it one step at a time.
0: Yeah.
1: And you see, when you understand that there's a process available for you to walk through that discomfort, for you to come to terms with the loss in your life, because you know, as I was saying, the first the first You know, sessions are exploratory where we introduce the myths and we we want people to understand why they're in the situations they're in. And and it's not their fault. It's conditioning that we've been subjected to. And then we have them look at some of the serves, the short-term energy-relieving behaviors that they take on. Some of it shows up in feeding disorders. Some of it shows up in this just incredible capacity to get lost in books and reading and movies and television and gyms. And, you know, some people take up running and the world looks at them and says, oh, geez, like, you know, they've got this gym membership. Like they they go to the gym, you know, religiously and they're not going to the gym because they're concerned about physical uh, toning they're going to the gym because it's a way for them to bury the pain and not have to deal with the emotional angst that's surfacing.
0: Yeah. And you know, I know it's been there for forever in a day, but it just seems to be more and more now that we, well, lost, it's become
1: know. undeniable. Yeah. You know, look at mental illness has been yeah. around forever just not in the amounts that it's showing up in now, because there's no place left for it to go. Yeah. More and more people are becoming aware of it. More and more people are finding themselves in situations where it has become undeniable. Yeah. You know, And we've been, we've been so skilled at, at dodging and stepping away from emotional angst that we continue to suffer in it. And how is it manifesting? It's manifesting in suicides. It's manifesting in wars. It's manifesting in division. It's manifest manifesting in all kinds of ways that we believe are unmanageable. And I'm here to tell the audience that that's that's a lie. It's yeah. It's all manageable. And it starts with people having the courage to raise their hands, you know? I'm part of an incredible um, project right now called the dare to be vulnerable project. And yep. it's all around really addressing the stigma that surrounds mental illness. You know, I, I, I talked about it at the beginning of, of your show yep. where um, <clears throat> we, we want to talk about mental health. That's a nice, neat, compartmentalized feeling like mental health every time you mention health it's it, it's a good thing <laughs> yeah. right it, it, and and that's the destination that's the easy stuff to talk about we need all the ugly stories about the unhealth about yeah. the illness that people have faced and people have moved through why because they took the steps to address it They stood up. They were uncomfortable in front of their peers, in front of their siblings, in front of their families, and talked about suicidal ideation. They've talked about anxiety. They've talked about depression. They've talked about all of the things that get wrapped into the mental illness realm. Yep. Those are the things.
0: I think that's got to be, you know, like I I love talking to you because I'll be awake until one o'clock. Now, thinking about the things that were spoken about, but the big one is that it's not mental health, it is mental illness. You are absolutely Ill. you are ill, it's just that it's not a gaping wound or a, a broken bone or a you know patch on an eye, or a, it's you know, it's like um, Jane's a good example when she went through her bowel cancer and. Everybody goes, oh, you look so well, you'll be fine. Well, it was stage 3 bowel cancer. You're not going it, to... It's, you know, not 50-50. And, 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 and let me it. ask
1: you a question, Pete. Yep. When you were experiencing that, what were your friends telling you? Be strong, Pete.
0: Yeah, you got to be strong for Jane. You know, you got to be there for her.
1: How Jane crippling. Would... How crippling. You, you you turned to somebody with the desire to share that pain, and the first thing out of their mouths is be strong, Pete. Be strong yeah. for Jane. Yeah. How cruel is that conditioning? It's, it's not helping, Jane. It's not helping you.
0: No. I think the, the the best thing I said to, to Jane, this is your realness. You tell me how you want to deal with it. And we will go what down whatever path you, you wish to take because you're the one that's got to live with it. I've just got to support you along the way in how you want to live with it. And I think that got us through a, a fair bit that she knew that whatever decision she made, like she was going to work with a chemo bottle on because that's what she wanted to do because she thought if she stayed at home, it would beat her. And I, I can remember a, a mum was going off a bit and I said, no, this is what she wants to do. We can't stop her trying to be as positive as she can.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I I think often we, 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 we aren't equipped. We don't have the words to make anybody feel anything. What we do have is the capacity and the ability to simply walk the path with them. Just be there. We, We don't have any magic words we can say to people. In fact, If we don't say anything at all, other than like, I'll I'll, I'll walk this out with you much, what you did to Jane, you know, you, you you just said, look, I'm going to support you in whatever decision you make to deal with this. And that's an open statement because you don't know where she is emotionally. You don't know where she is psychologically with all of that, you know, but I'm a firm believer, and I watched my mother do this. Some people get diagnosed with the cancer and die from it, while others get diagnosed with the cancer and live with it. it. It sounds ridiculous, but I think it's the support mechanisms that are in place. People who are surrounded by others who are well-meaning yep. by, you know, oh, don't feel bad. Like, what is it that we don't want fe- people to feel bad? W- what's wrong with feeling bad? <laughs> it, because it makes us uncomfortable. So we don't want them to feel bad because it's really a reflection of our lives and where we're at and uh, what's unfolding in us. So when people are going through things and we can simply be there for them, Simply be that safe space for them to talk about things, for them to express and, and not push conditioning at them. You know, m- most people have an aversion to going to funeral parlors and it'll be the same story every time. I, well, I, I don't know what to say and that makes me really <laughs> uncomfortable, so I'm not going to go. And, and here's a key for everybody who's listening right now. Go to a funeral parlor the next time one of your friends loses somebody precious to them. Just tell them you're sorry; they're experiencing that pain, and and you're there. you're, you're there, simply to accompany them through this difficult journey, you, you don't have to say anything to anybody. Simply show up.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's like um innocent really in it just show up be your authentic self be there yeah and you know just knowing that someone's there and okay they've taken the time that's all it is you know like um as i said in the sometimes you hit rock bottom and it's to do with the mental illness side of things Everybody's prepared to say, give me a call if you're feeling bad. But how many people called me to see how I was?
1: No. How unfair is that to put that weight on somebody because they won't do it?
0: No, not a chance They won't in hell. do it. Not a chance in hell that you, you'll sit there and go, oh, geez, I'm, I'm rock bottom, I've got to call someone. And the, the things that go through your head that you don't want to put a burden on their shoulders.
1: You know, if your audience hasn't seen that clip, make sure that it's available to them, Pete, because you shared something in that story that impacted me on a deep, deep level. And it's, it, it's regarding the very element that you're talking about right now. When we do share our discomfort and people say, I'm here for you, call me if you need anything. How cruel and unfair that is. Because if you reach out to ask somebody how they're doing and they share they're struggling, (coughs) they're struggling, excuse me. Here's the term you use that I absolutely (laughs) love you've entered a social contract, and it's your responsibility as a caring friend to reach out. Not put the onus on someone you know who is suffering from either emotional or physical angst to reach out to you when you need something, because odds are they'll never do it. You'll read about their demise. You'll read about them having committed suicide. You'll read about them dying of the the disease and and wonder why they never reached out to you. They have so much going on on that front. So thank you for that. Because it raised no, an awareness in me, right? Like that, that social contract. No, when when I... you reach out, yeah, when you reach out and you ask somebody how they're doing, it better be from a place of a genuineness.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing that, you know, like, to be honest, I was, I was struggling a bit when you came to visit. But I got extremely worse after that. And I was watching all of the, you know, R U A K and all the different organisations that that and this is the flip side to it, that promote to help people with mental health. To try to give them the tools to help someone with mental health. But nowhere did they talk about the consequence. And that's where I come up with the the idea that if you ask someone how they're going, that's the social contract.
1: Yeah, no, that's powerful. That's powerful. (laughs)
0: Because there's two scenarios that are going to happen and you you touched on one of them. And one of them is going to the funeral parlour that they don't want to go to. And the other one is being the person opens up to you. And when they open up to you, are you prepared to listen unconditionally without voicing an opinion? And this is the other one that people do say to you. And that is, well, that's stupid that you think that way. Pop that one when you're suffering from mental illness, Mm -hmm. being told that, you know cuz you open it up and you're feeling bad and you're feeling down and you feel like that you want to take your own life that you're stupid so what that does is that just pushes that person aside you don't say anything you just push that person aside but you just go backwards at a rate of knots you absolutely know, and the periods of loss and frustration that you, you you were talking about where you know your father called you stupid so you go back into that pocket again and you just get it's like a hamster on a reel with, with some people that they don't understand that the depths of despair that people are at when they're at rock bottom. So you see, we,
1: we we get anchored to pain. We get yep. anchored to pain every time there's an incident. And you know, here's six little words for the audience to write down. Yep. Different, better, more hopes, dreams, and expectations. Those are the elements where we're anchored to pain events in our lives because we are incomplete emotionally. And what I love about our process is that's the destination for us. We prepare people to complete emotionally. And that's where we get to pull those little hooks out of the soft spots of our spirit, but we need the courage to be able to talk about them. And, you know, you said something critical. You said something important. <clears throat> our job is to simply listen. In, in our profession as grief and loss specialists, we refer to ourselves as hearts with ears.
0: Yeah, you know, like the, the famous saying, God gave us two of these Yeah, one of them. Yeah.
1: We don't analyze, we don't judge, and we don't criticize. Yeah
0: well done let's come to that time wow we you probably i've got a time here and i know how long we've been ticking along for and for you to give me your time and thoughts and understanding like we could go for i could do a joe rogan on this with you you know go for <laughs> three, four hours but you know i've got to be fair here but we can have more episodes of, absolutely of, of, absolutely i love that pete <laughs> First of all, how would someone uh, get in contact with you if they felt that they connected with you in this conversation and that they feel that they could um, go down the the path that you take people?
1: Uh, This is ironic, right? Because I I, I poo-poo the social media platforms, but it's the easiest way for people to connect. Yeah. Um, you know, I I can be found at uh, on on Facebook at dvlechance dot um, That's the link to my bio. Facebook is uh, I if you just do a search on loss specialist. Yeah, I can I provide you the, with the links if you want to I'll put have,
0: them. I'll have the links. I've got them in in your bio and everything like <clears> that. But it, the the main one for me for for people to go to is dvlechance. Dot com.
1: Absolutely. Because yeah. my bio is there. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I'm Ryan it, Pete, <clears throat> you know, our motto is we go first.
0: Yep. And, you know, it's just like the, sometimes you hit rock bottom, you know, I, I was going to edit it and I started listening to it and I said, nah, I can't edit this. And I just got to let it go as, as, as raw as, it's got to be because we talk about turning up and being our authentic self and if you're editing things you're not authentic that's how I see it
1: yeah ego's taken over
0: yeah yeah so when I do these shows and once again I appreciate your time these just go out I I just polish up the sound to make sure it sounds good but they just go out and be as raw as they can with me scratching and carrying on and the sniffles and things like that but
1: yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah. you know because those are the things we hope resonate with people right like this is real Yeah. this is real there there's
0: you know I we show up without armor and that's what i want people to start to 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 get from these podcasts and episodes and things like that that it's Two things. One is it's okay to be broken, right? That, you know, everything in the world breaks and we're included in that, whether it's physical or mental. And the other thing is that it's it's okay to be yourself. Not what others want you to be, but who you wish to be.
1: Your authentic self.
0: Yeah. And that's... Um, one of the things I close off sometimes with, you know, the the show is the Peter George Experience, Success Through Conversation and Experiences. But it's really to help you be the best you can be.
1: That's awesome. Pete, I just yeah. want you to know that I'll support you on this journey any way I can.
0: Yeah, and, you know, like, <clears throat> I hope people reach out to you because you just know at the right point to get that little bit extra from someone that will hopefully open them up like that young girl did at the hospital where she went through the the circle of who peter george was and that's when i realized that pain was just another little dot on the journey of peter george and it took her to to do it you know like i i knew i probably could have come to you but i didn't feel that it was was right but you know as i said going to the hospital and things like that um A the mental health unit scared the bejeebus out of me with the, the people that were in there and what they're going through and then two, the the team um that they put you in touch with was phenomenal so there is help there for people and you just got to find it none um in a couple of weeks' time, I'm talking with a guy called David McBride. Now, Dave was part of my recovery. And as I say in the in the talk, that he didn't do much, but he was there for me. And that's what it all comes down to. Yep. You know, like he turned up, which I never used to, and that's how you can pick Someone with mental illness—they don't start turning up. But he turned up here, didn't judge, just listened. So, and you do the same thing, my good friend. And you—you know—we we owe a lot to you, as a person. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure. So, once again, I know we waffled on about the pats on the back, but no. Don deserves one, and we hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, Shows are out every Wednesday at a stupid time. I put them out there at 5 o'clock now in the morning so people can get into them on the way to work. So once again, Don, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Peter George Experience.
1: Thank you, Peter. Thank you for the work you're doing. I really do appreciate it.
0: Thank you.